Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to The Art Box, recorded in beautiful Virgin Valley, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, Mesquite, Nevada, and find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com. Hosting today's episode is Rochelle Knight and Steve Dudrow. Let's go have some fun. Welcome to episode eight of The Art Box. We're bringing you this episode from the Women's History and Culture Center in Mesquite, Nevada. Rochelle, it's uh, August 29th, hot. Yes. What have you been doing? Because we don't have a competition in September, I've had a lot of just time to kind of try and grow as an artist. I know that sounds kind of cliche, but just exploring different things. And one thing that I've tried this month is working in a series, not necessarily paintings that go together as far as there's one scene, but just spread out between paintings. I mean more having more than one painting going at a time, sitting on easels, and I actually paint on each of those uh, during the day. So instead of just concentrating on one painting, and I've heard this idea a few times, and it's actually working really well as far as creating continuity between my paintings, especially even with the colors and getting to a rhythm of painting a certain different, a certain kind of flower with different colors. And then I can, once I get that set, I can do it on multiple paintings. And so, so that's what I'm working on is just is trying out that to see uh, how that works as far as productivity. Is that, what do you have planned for the October competition? I'm still working on that. It's a tricky one. It's, uh, uh, no, I don't want you to, I don't want you to give away any I secrets. won't, because I, I, actually my secret is I don't know yet, but it's, uh, it's all an illusion is the competition themes. It's a little tricky. I've had some different ideas and this one I think will require a lot of just sketching out to try and make things fit. I do have, I definitely will take the whole month, I think, to, to get October's done. What have you been working on? Well, I'm happy you asked, Rochelle. I've been spending time putting the finishing touches on a report that you, Lois, and I will be presenting at the Three Corners Archaeology Conference at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, on October 15th. The three of us and others have spent a lot of time over the last year making equinox and solstice observations at a possible calendar site in Lincoln County, Nevada. It's quite interesting and we will share the results on a coming Art Box episode. Today, we'd like to welcome Randy Bauman. Randy is a member of the Virgin Valley Artists Association, but more importantly, Randy has uh, started the Mesquite Fine Arts Photographic Society. Randy, would you like to tell us a little bit about the society? Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
My wife, uh, Chris Petrior, got involved in the gallery a few years ago, and eventually she became a board member, and the next thing she knew, she was president. And she said to me, there's a lot of interest around in photography, and people want to know if we're going to start a photography group. When she joined the gallery, I joined the gallery again. I'd been a member of the gallery back in 2010, and and frankly, I found that I, I didn't feel that the gallery really appreciated or recognized photography, and I let my membership lapse. And 10 years went by, and Chris was a member, and she said, it's different now, and I joined and entered some exhibitions, and then she becomes president, and she says, would you consider doing this? And then, I've never been in a photo group in my life. It's it's a solo hobby. It was a solo hobby for me, but I said, sure, I'll, I'll give it a try. We sent out an art alert. We got some interest, and in March of 2021, we had our first meeting in the classroom, and I got a great group of people. I got a, I got a good core group of passionate, experienced photographers, and then I've got other people who are just interested in photography and wanted to get involved. So we've kind of been feeling our way now for a year and a half. Our first year we did a, a calendar project to raise some money so we could bring in outside speakers. The uh, gallery gave us the Mesa Gallery in the fall for a history of photography exhibit and we had great participation in that. I did a, a brown bag luncheon last fall uh, titled, Is It Real or Is It Photoshop? Because <laughs> <laughs> seems to be a, a common topic uh, anytime there's you mean, photography You mean nowadays. with those giant moons that I'm like, how did they get that picture? <laughs> I must be doing something wrong. <laughs> What was interesting about that, we do a little sidelight there, what was interesting about that, when I was doing research for, the, for that one, I found some photos that were taken in 1857 that are currently in the Getty Gallery in, uh, in Southern California, and there's two or three sea scenes set at the seashore, ships and different things, and they all have the same sky. So the photographer was a French photographer. He had taken the sky uh, on one slide and sandwiched it in with uh, other foregrounds. And again, this was in 1857. So sky replacement is a new feature of Photoshop that came out a year or so ago. <laughs> but it's not new, and that was the point I was making. I mean, people have been manipulating photographs since the very beginning. So we got going. We uh, we did the uh, the exhibit in October. We uh, were successful selling our calendars, and it's just been it's just been a lot of fun. And my personal goal with the society is to convince people to get the photographs off your cell phone, off your hard drive. We had a we were able to bring in um, under a grant our first, the gallery's first artist in residence in February this year, Larry Burton, a photographer out of Carson City, spent a week in Mesquite. And the first thing he said at the first workshop he put on was, if it's not printed, it's not art. And that's my goal. My goals are, are twofold. It's to help members 
grow their photographic skills by teaching them new skills, talking about techniques, having uh, workshops, bringing in outside speakers. But really, it's to get people to exhibit in the gallery every month and to participate and concomitant with that, I guess I would have to say, and I think we've been successful at this, is get them to join the gallery as members. And I lost count how many members I think we've added to the gallery over the last 15, 16 months, but it's definitely in the double digits. So I feel like we're supporting the gallery too, and they're supporting us, and it's, it's, a, good, it's a good relationship. We did a survey of our members uh, back in uh, February, and we found that the number one reason, I guess this shouldn't have surprised me, but somehow it did. The number one reason people participate is they like to be around other people who have the same interest. You know, artists can talk about composition and painting and drawing, and I don't know what y'all talk about. <laughs> but, you know, Steve, I know you. You know what I'm talking about. I, I mean, we'd love to sit around and talk about this or that or the other thing as it relates to something that is really truly our passion, which is which is photography. So we're we're just we just want to keep growing, keep getting people to exhibit. Um, we get our own exhibit in the Mesa Gallery once a year. We just finished this year's exhibit. It was called. Uh, capturing light, the art of photography, and we had over 60 photographs from all of our members displayed during that time. Next year, we're already planning for next May, our exhibit is going to be, we're going to encourage members to create portfolios of their photos. Portfolios meaning uh, a fairly narrow subject, like waterfalls or rock formations or wildlife, something fairly narrow. We want to mentor and help them over the course of our meetings in the fall and, and next winter to kind of hone that down. We, we see a portfolio somewhere around four to eight photographs, all of them uh, approximately the same size, maybe the same orientation, kind of working through some of the details right now, framed the same way. And then we'd like to have this exhibit be for those members who took the time and effort to put together their first portfolio. And uh, we've got some members who have done it, so we've got some good people to mentor our members, et cetera. So that's, that's basically the uh, Mesquite Fine Arts Photographic Society. I should mention that, that at our first or second meeting, we came up with a mission statement. And our mission statement, I think, encompasses what I've been talking about, which is it's to elevate photography as an art form by sharing our experience, expertise, ideas, and creations with the community. And that's what we seek to do. We want to help each other become better photographers. We have one experienced member, and uh, he has won several Best of Show awards. And he said in one meeting, he said, if you're not winning awards, you just need to up your game. And maybe that offends people, but it really shouldn't. Because when I look at some of the stuff I entered a couple years ago, yeah, yeah, I could have done better. And I do better now because I'm learning from these people. I've been doing this for 40 years, and I've learned an awful lot in the last year, and I've found some things that surprised me. 
I said, I'm not interested in going on photo outings with a bunch of people that, that, you know, I like to do it by myself. I like to hike down the canyons of Bryce Canyon at 4.30 in the morning. It's quiet, it's solitary. I don't want to be with a group of people. And actually what I've found is the opposite. It's fun to go out with another group of people. And we all come back with different things and different ideas. So I, I've, I've I've learned from it in so many ways that I can't say enough good things about it. I keep trying to get people to join, tr keep trying to convince people to get some of those 100,000 photos off their cell phones and, and onto the walls because photography is a legitimate art form. So, well, you're doing a good job. Yes, you are. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and I appreciate it. And maybe because I'm just like you or like you were. I, I want to be by myself. I don't want anybody around, and I need to. I need to come out of my shell. Right. So, you know, there's a funny story with that. I went on two outings. One in March. Uh, some of the members and I went down to Valley of Fire early in the morning. They wanted to shoot wildlife. I don't shoot wildlife. It's not my thing. But I I got one of a bighorn sheep, and I I you know, cropped it and post-processed it and printed it on canvas and entered it in the gallery and got an honorable mention. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> I a, just saw that, too. It's a picture I never would have taken had I not been with them. So about a month later, we all went out out um, north of Mesquite here to try and shoot that blood-red moon that was up. And nobody who was out there with me, there were four of us, got anything except me I got the moon it was real cloudy that night and I got the moon just as it was coming over the mountain and it was blood red and the exhibit was uh, the the uh, name of the exhibit was my favorite song title and I said bad moon rising and I got third place so I got to tell these people that I go with, you know what, <laughs> you get credit too, because I wouldn't have taken either one of those pictures if I'd have done it on my own. I would have been home sitting in my recliner drinking uh, drinking a beer probably. So. And, and, and I, I have to thank you for that because um, that CCR song was in my head for three days after I saw your winning, after your third place finish there. Yeah, I'm like, okay, thanks, Randy. Now, there, there could be worse things than having a CCR song go around, well, around it, your head. Well, huh? it's, it's also funny, and, and we have members say this all the time, and it's not just photographers. Um, uh, Chris said this once. She got a best of show, and she said, that was something I put together at the last minute, and the one I really thought was good didn't get, any, didn't get anything. And uh, one of our other members grabbed the wrong photo on his way out the door to the drop-off. And it got best of show. And he grabbed the wrong one. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, and I almost didn't enter Bad Moon Rising because I thought my other entry was better. So, you know, I said, you, I say this to the group all the time. You cannot second guess the judges. Just, it's your art. And that is my theme. It's your art. Make it what you want. And bad, I like Bad Moon Rising because I'm going to put it on my wall. The other one I did, which is of Monument Valley, it's called The Road Ahead. I'm going to put that on my wall, too, because I love them. And that's why I do it, is to get it off the computer. That, that Monument Valley photo is probably 15 years old. And it had been sitting there, and I thought, this is beautiful. Everybody's seen that scene. It's from Forrest Gump Point, if you've ever oh, been there, yeah. you know. Which, by the way, they've taken the sign down now. 
used to be a sign there that said Forrest Gump stopped here. It's gone. <laughs> they took it down. I don't know. I don't know how. I got a picture of each of my sons and myself running up the road. This is the same picture of Forrest Gump. If you get there, you got to do it, right? Yeah, it's an iconic photo, and every time we go through there, we go through there, my buddies and I go through there at least once a year on our motorcycles, and we always stop and get our pictures taken with bunny ears <laughs> and whatever in front, in front of the sign. And, and Chris and I drove through there a few weeks ago, and the sign is gone. They don't want people stopping in the road, no. standing out there taking pictures. they got all kinds of no-parking signs up. They must have had some some accidents but anyway that's that's the story uh find an old photo take a new photo but make it into your art because it's your art i love that so tell us a little about yourself well i was born in minnesota my dad was a big movie buff and by that i mean big he he bought i have it now he bought a 16 millimeter home movie camera used in 1950 for $350, which was a virtual fortune back then. And the thing, it's wind up, it doesn't use batteries, still runs like a clock. You can't buy film for it, and if you could, why would you? But it was, it was really cool. I have great memories of that. He owned a movie theater. I grew up in a movie theater. And dad was also big into photography. I hate to think of how many cameras he had when I was little that my brother and I probably wrecked by making, you know, playing with them as toys. But uh, he had one of the original Polaroids. He had the pocket Instamatic, and it wasn't the cheap version either. It was the expensive one with the that you would actually had to focus. He had the the land cameras, the Polaroid land cameras in the '60s. He had the SX70. He had the APS. He, I displayed some of these cameras at the uh, at the exhibit last October on the history of photography. So he and I were both kind of into that. He was more into the movies, but he had the photography bug too. It's it's funny. About uh, a week ago, Chris and I were watching some old home movies that Dad had taken because we're going to the Black Hills on vacation, and and she's never been there, and I've been there many times, and the movies were from 1965. And I'm nine years old, which tells you how old I am, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> I was walking down this pathway of the Badlands on the movie, and I stopped, and I took a picture. And I said to Chris, I said, that wasn't a real camera. I mean, it was a real camera, but it was broken. I was pretending I was taking pictures when I was nine years old. <laughs> It was a camera belonged to my great-grandfather, and when he had passed away, somebody was going to throw it out because it was broken. And I said, can I have that? You know, it's a toy. I used it as a toy, so I'd go around the Black Hills pretending I was, I was taking pictures. So my interest really came from my father, and when, we were in, when I was in college in the 70s, he and I went together, and we spent $350 on a a single lens reflex camera. It was a Canon AE-1, which if you remember, was the first auto exposure camera with a microprocessor built in it. And of course, you know, I paid for half of it, but it was mine and I kept it. And every time dad would see it, he'd say, hey, what about my half? But I took pictures with that and I was really into photography. And I, when I was a senior, I had an internship 
in my winter quarter. And when I went back to school in the spring, I had already had a job. So I just needed to graduate. You know, I had mm -hmm. to graduate. And I needed one humanities class to graduate. So I took photography class because, you know, I already had a job, right? right? So it met Tuesday. I remember it met Tuesday, Thursday for two hours each day. So I had Monday, Wednesday, and Friday off, and I drove around little small towns around campus with black and white film and shot photos. And then I'd go to the university darkroom and I'd develop them. And then I'd use the enlarger and I'd enlarge them. And then I'd use the, the hot press and mount them. And I still have some of those in my closet. They're not particularly great, but I, I do have good memories of that. So I've been into photography for a long time and then, you know, life happens, and you get married, and you have kids, and you're working, and you're trying to get ahead and pay the mortgage or whatever, and it was the, probably the late 90s, I realized my life was totally out of control. The camera, which by now was 20 years old, and was, I don't even think it, the AE1 worked anymore at that point, and I... I just realized my life was out of control. I was way too stressed out. And I said, I've got to find a hobby. I've got to find something to do. What better hobby than my old hobby, photography? And so you re-enter the market and you find that the world has changed a lot in 20 years because now all the cameras use different lenses and they're autofocus and they got all these other gizmos. I and mean, we're still shooting film. But it was at the beginning of digital photography. You could, I would shoot slides. You could scan them, put them in the computer, use Photoshop. You could get a color printer. You could print at home. It was like magic. All that darkroom stuff had went away sometime during that 20 years. So I, I got back into it in a big way. And that's kind of my, my history in photography. Personally, I have uh, one daughter. She is uh, living right now in Atlanta. No grandchildren, nor are there going to be any, I'm told. Um, but she's married. She's doing great. She worked for me for, for a number of years, and uh, we're very close. I've lived in many places in my career. I, I lived in Minneapolis a few years. I lived in Denver, where my daughter was born. We lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, we were there for 17 years. My daughter grew up there. She started kindergarten and graduated college in Tennessee, so that's 17 years. And when she got out of college, I said, well, you know, I'm going to move back to New Mexico. And what she would tell you today is, Dad told me he was going to move back to New Mexico after I got out of college. What he didn't tell me is he was going to leave a week after graduation. <laughs> but I did. And she came out to visit me, and she said, Dad... This is really nice. You know, she said it in a way you could tell she didn't really mean it. She said, I think I want to move to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so she moved to Florida. She's living in Florida, California. She lived in the Bay Area. Now they're in Atlanta. So uh, it's great. Like I say, we're really close. I was a healthcare consultant for, well, it's coming up on 30 years. I still have my company. It's still based in Nashville. But right now it's just me. And I don't do a whole lot. I'm kind of semi-retired. But if work comes in, I'll do it as long as it doesn't take over my life because I would rather be doing photography. So <laughs> that kind of brings you up to date. 
So, so Randy, what do you think about photography as a business? Okay, and have, have you sold any photos yourself? I have sold photos. One of my favorite stories of selling photos is I had, I, I moved back to New Mexico for two reasons. One is I wanted, I'd always liked New Mexico. We'd lived there for three or four years back in the, in the early 80s, or in the mid 80s, I guess it was. I always wanted to go back, but I went back for two reasons. One is it's a beautiful place for photography. And my other hobby, still is, is riding motorcycle. And those two really go together. So I, I wanted to go back to do those things in my spare time. And there's a place up in uh, northwestern New Mexico called Shiprocks, big plug that sticks out of the, out of the ground. And when I lived in Nashville, I'd, I'd fly into Albuquerque and just spend a week. I'd rent a motorcycle and I'd just drive around and take pictures by myself because to me it was a solitary pursuit then. And I took this great photo of Shiprock at sunset where it looks like the face of it is the face of a Native American. And I called it the spirit of Joe Leaphorn. Joe Leaphorn was a fictional, fictitious, I should say, Navajo uh, police officer in uh, a series of novels written by an author who was pretty famous named Tony Hillerman. Tony Hillerman was based in Albuquerque, and he wrote a lot of novels about the Navajo culture and the police, and they're always centered around mysteries, and the one about Joe Leaphorn that I was thinking of was called The Fallen Man, and it was about a dead body that the police or somebody discovered at the top of Shiprock. So I called this The Spirit of Joe Leaphorn, and it was in a restaurant, along with a bunch of other photos of mine in, in Albuquerque, and a, Tony Hillerman's novels were all bestsellers in the 90s and many of them were made into movies and his publisher was in the restaurant and saw it and bought it for tony hillerman as a birthday present so i always imagined it was it was on his wall i never met him uh, and he's long gone now he passed away probably 15 years ago or more but uh, it, it was I, I thought that was fun but i don't think you know back to your question i don't think as a business, it would be tough. I mentioned I lived in Nashville for 17 years, and you know Nashville is full of wannabe songwriters and wannabe guitar pickers. Everybody plays guitar. Heck, I even took guitar lessons when I lived in Nashville and wrote a couple songs with a with a buddy that I met who actually had some cuts recorded. And those guys just don't make a lot of money. It's just, you know, I was never in the music business. I was in the healthcare business, but they don't make a lot of money. I think photography is the same way. I think it's very difficult to make money, but you can go to galleries down in Caesar's Palace in Vegas and you can see them selling photographs for thousands and thousands of dollars. So somebody figures it out. <laughs> somebody figures it out, but it's the same with, with painting and, and other art. Right? I mean, it's not that easy to sell it. The demographic here in Mesquite is, you know, we're mostly over 55 and our walls are full. And our closets are probably full too. I know mine is. <laughs> I donated a bunch of stuff to the gallery a couple of years ago because I just don't have room for it. What am I going to do with it? So I think it's very tough to, to make money. The other thing that happens, and this has really been in the last 
15 years probably, is what we call, and I'm sure you've probably heard, called the democratization, democratization of photography. Everybody's got a camera. Everybody takes a picture every single day. There are billions and billions of them out there. They're all on Facebook. They're, it's back to what I was talking about a few minutes ago, you know. Um, get them off your phone. Get them off your hard drive. Their art. If you want to put them on Instagram, I think that's great. Go for it. If you want to put them on Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media you use, that's great. I see some beautiful stuff every day, and I scroll by it, and I click the like button, and I keep going, and that photo will never be seen again. And it's kind of unfortunate because some of them are just absolutely beautiful. And a cell phone is capable of taking a really amazing, amazing photograph. We have people in our photographic society who have won best of show with photos they took on their cell phones and edited on their cell phones. Yeah. It's, uh, so that's another thing I think that makes it really hard as a business though, because the problem with photography is everybody thinks they can take that picture. And maybe they can, you know, I'm for them. I, I, you know, nothing against it. Everybody thinks they can do it. Uh, it's not quite that simple because it's very time consuming and meticulous if you're gonna do it right to print them off. Because you gotta make sure the colors match. You gotta make sure the shadows aren't too dark, that the highlights aren't washed out, that the lab you're using matches the colors, that you crop it right. There's all kinds of things that can go wrong. It's more complicated than people think to print it and make it look like art. I mean, if you go to those galleries down in Vegas, you, you see what I mean. They're amazing what they're doing with, with that stuff. So, yeah, You know, I don't know that there's room for I guess they're still out there, but like wedding photographers. Um, everybody at the wedding has a cell phone. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I can remember, being younger, going to other people's weddings, because ours, we couldn't afford it, but I've been to weddings where every place has a, they put an Instamatic down, you know, one of the throwaway cameras, so they wanted the guests to take pictures. Don't have to worry about that anymore. Everybody's already got their cell phone. Yeah, I, I've seen that too. I've, I don't know if they still do that, but I've, I've seen that or they encourage people to take pictures with their cell phones and send them to a cloud site where they can all be yeah. aggregated. We're going to a wedding tomorrow, I'll, I'll see. I mean, my daughter, when she got married four or five years ago, she had a real photographer, and man, the technology is pretty amazing. Um, I don't think you could get photos like that with your cell phone. It, I think wedding photographers probably do make money. I don't know that it's all that lucrative. Plus, you're give, giving up your weekends. I mean, yeah. My niece does that uh, in Minnesota as kind of a sidelight, but she's a high school principal. I mean, she's not making money. She's not making big money. She's making a little moonlighting money uh, off doing it. One of our members has a, a portrait gallery up in Montana, I believe. There are people in our group who sell photos. One of our members is really big on trying to get her photos into like upscale galleries and online art, art shows and things like that. Places where they have to be juried in order to get in or you have to fit a certain theme, things like that. And she's real insistent on it. Not my thing, but I think my thing is get the art 
off the computer. Rarely do I find a photo on my computer that's halfway decent that I don't think I can make into something by changing the highlights or editing it or whatever because, and it, it speaks to me. It speaks to me. I we entered one last fall and it's a, it's a baseball scene. I love baseball and it was a minor league baseball game in Nashville on a beautiful summer night and there's a scoreboard in left field that's shaped like a guitar, perfect for Nashville, right? And the pitcher had just thrown the ball or the batter had just swung at it. You can't really tell, but everybody's like in position, ready for the play. And it's a panorama of the whole field and it's just beautiful, but the sky was just black. You know, it was night. Well, guess what? It has a beautiful, beautiful red sky <laughs> because Photoshop has sky replacement. And my daughter says, that's fake, Dad. <laughs> I said, you know what? That's how I want to remember it. It's my, it's my art. It's my art. And if you don't like it, that's okay. And if the judge doesn't like it, that's okay too because I'm, well, it's nice to get a nod from a judge. It's kind of fun, and I think every artist in the gallery feels this way when they, they enter into an exhibition and they put a lot of time and effort into it and they don't, they don't get a nod. And we all like to have a little nod, you know, a little, little affirmation that we're doing the right thing. That's not why I do it. And I sure don't do it for the prize money. And I sure don't do it for the money because I sold the few last year, but there's no, there's no real money in it. And at the end of the day, I sold all of my photos that were on the wall at that uh, restaurant in New Mexico when I moved here full time for $1,000. I had at least that much in it in yeah. framing and matting and printing. There's not a lot of money in it. There are artists who make money at it. Floyd Johnson comes to mind. He was a professional artist. And uh, we're glad to have him in the gallery, but he gets best to show all the time because he's such a darn good artist. Well, you know, you can't make feel bad. You can't feel bad for him because of that. So that is kind of the my take on the on the business side. But you know, if you want to try and make money at it, I encourage people to go for it. It's uh, it's not. I got I had one in New Mexico magazine in, wow, it had to have been 2001 or 2002, it was 20 years ago. I was still living in Tennessee and I made one of those trips to New Mexico with a friend that time and we took, just drove around, took slides, we took photos and I entered one and there were 4,000 entries and I got honorable mention. And that made me feel pretty good out of 4,000. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> but again, no money in it. <laughs> So as a business, I'm not the one to talk to, I guess. The business of making yourself happy is all good. A absolutely, absolutely. And I think I'm working on a little, I don't know if I want to call it a lecture for the photo group on this topic. So it's kind of top of mind to me, but it's, you know, why do we do this? It's titled, Why Do We Do This? I mean, do you really do it because you're going to get $100 net after you sell one or because you get a ribbon or a ribbon that maybe earns you $25 or a hundred. I mean, really, is that really why you do it? That isn't why you do it. I don't think that's why I do it. Like I say, I think everybody likes the nod, the affirmation of, of somebody independent saying that's, that's pretty good work. 
but I see every month I see work that I think is just as good or better than what I put in. And I think everybody feels that way. Mm-hmm. You know, say, well, mine's good, but man, that one was really good. How did they not get an award? They must have picked the wrong song title or something. I don't know. <laughs> I think I picked the wrong t- song title. I should have done Bad Moon and Rising. Uh, a- another thought came to my mind because um, I-, I-, I like part of getting the picture is getting there. I have to, if I have to hike somewhere, if I have to endure some heat or late of night hiking around, I like that. That feels good. But then there's the other part, which is it's editing. I think I like editing as much as I like taking the picture. What do you think about that? I think for me personally, absolutely. I love editing. I've learned so much since we started the Photographic Society about new tools that I'd never heard of, all of the Topaz tools that uh, I use regularly now. If you don't know what they are, look them up online, but there's, um, they're all artificial intelligence. There's Gigapixel, which lets you take a photo that's very small and you want to make a big enlargement and it will enlarge it for you. It will sharpen it for you. It will do whatever you want to with it to make it look better and you know that these galleries in Vegas are doing something to make those photos look so good so I love editing Uh, I've always loved Photoshop I I thought Photoshop was the coolest thing ever because I grew up in the dark room with a piece of cardboard dodging and burning to make parts of it just like Ansel Adams did to make parts of it lighter or darker or to balance out the the shadows etc so I like both. We, we fight that battle a little bit, and I don't mean to, that in a bad way, but in the photographic society, we have some who like to shoot. They want to go out and shoot every day. And then we have people who don't want to do much shooting. They want to edit to the extreme, and we try to find a balance with that. And you know, my lesson that I shared a few minutes ago is that. I found that you know, I kind of enjoy going out with other people. But I, I still don't, I still wouldn't say that I'm never going to go out by myself because I am. I was up at Bryce earlier this week with a couple guys on a motorcycle trip and I want to go back and I want to hike down in there about 4.30 in the morning because the sun comes up early now and get those pictures again. I haven't done that probably for 15 years and I just love it up there and, and the trails aren't that hard. But a couple weeks ago, a bunch of us hiked a trail, not a long way, but it was in the dark up up at a place called Eagle Crags up by uh, Rockville, Utah, outside of Zion, to shoot the Milky Way. This was a workshop that we were able to pay for because we made some money on our calendar and we hired uh, a professor of photography out of St. George at Dixie State named Alex Chamberlain and he took us out there. He, he knew where to go, he knew when it was going to come up and judging from the photograph of the group which was taken at 1.45 in the morning and we were all still awake and smiling, we all had a good time. We had a good time and we got some photos that I wouldn't have known where to go, or as the lady I was riding with up there said, I would never go out here by myself in the middle of the night. (laughs) And it was a dark trail. It wasn't long, but it was treacherous, and it was pitch dark, because that's when you want to shoot the Milky Way, when there's no moon. So I think we have a balance of both of those. We try to do photo outings concomitant, I guess, with, with our meetings, say, 
we're going to meet. We did one last December. We said we're going to have a photo outing for the Christmas or holiday light parade. And we all set up along the street, Mesquite Boulevard, and we're taking pictures of all the lights coming by. And that's the theme of one of the month's photos for this year's calendar, for next year's calendar, that we're, we may or may not do, but we're working on right now, is who had the best photo from the light parade. We try to get people to bring in photos so we can critique them. Sometimes that's difficult because I don't want anybody, I don't need you to critique my photo, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what people say. Sure. I, I, yeah, amen on that. It isn't going to bother my, me. My feelings would get hurt. <laughs> well, it ain't going to bother me if you critique my photo, but I'm probably, you know, I'll decide whether or not what you tell me I, I want to go with, right? But that's how we exchange ideas, right? That's, that's how we improve. It's, it, every artist has to go through that. You have to be willing to take criticism or you're not going to get better. We had one guy who was enlarging photos, huge, huge enlargements, and he had banding on the edges because the photos were such low resolution. We taught him how to use Topaz Gigapixel and how to fix that. So that's part of what we're about. Again, back to our mission is to try and help people improve by sharing what you know that I don't know or what I know that you don't know. And that's what learning is about. So. Hey, real quick, and I gotta hand this off to Rochelle because I'm taking up all her time here. But um, you you may want to talk about the uh, society's uh, next meeting and when you have your meetings. Just give a little plug. I was thinking about waiting to the end, but why not now? We meet on the second Tuesday of each month. Rarely, there's an exception because schedule change or I'm out of town or something like that. Not like the meeting can't go on without me, but I tried to, I I had a conflict in May and I tried to get somebody else to take it. And they said, why don't we just move it a week? Because we'd really, you know, we're not going to meet over the summer. Kind of typical for Mesquite, I think. Uh, You know, everybody's gone. Our next meeting is next Tuesday, June 14th. But frankly, I don't know if we're going to meet. I polled the members this morning to see who's in town because if there's only going to be four of us, we might get together and have a social hour, but I'm not going to put together workshops and demonstrations and things like that. Uh, That would be a waste of time. We're going to take July and August off, and then we're going to hit it hard in September on this portfolio project. Those of us who are around, if we decide to do a calendar for 2023, We'll be working on that this summer. We'll be playing with our portfolio ideas. And then I have a steering committee, and I should mention them there. They're a great group of photographers. It consists of Eric Werdahl. Eric's uh, up in Montana this summer. Walt Alder, who is a very good photographer, won many awards at the gallery. Sue McPherson, likewise, very good wonderful, amazing photographer, won many awards at the gallery. Susan Kelson, who's a great photographer and a great personality as well, I might add, and uh, Barb Flanders Krauss. They're all just wonderful. They're very supportive. They help me by coming up with ideas or their willingness to stand up and do a presentation. Sue McPherson did one last month called 176,000 images and counting, what do I do now? (laughs) And out of that came things that maybe aren't rocket scientists. It's the slideshow that you you do, I know, Steve. 
and the portfolio idea, photo books. She showed us some demonstrations. But her number one thing to do with them is get them off your hard drive and print them and enter them in exhibitions at the gallery, which where I thought I, was great. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> where, somewhere I've heard that. Somewhere you've heard that before. So they, they really helped me a lot. So the answer to your question is we may or may not be meeting on Tuesday the 14th, but we're going to start meeting the second Tuesday of a month starting again in September. Uh, we try to update the website. I haven't forgot about that. Uh, in fact, I've got, I had the language written the day after we talked last week, but uh, I got to make sure the steering committee is comfortable with all of it. It's about this portfolio project and things, and we haven't been able to get together because so many people are out of town. There were two of us left as of this morning, so maybe another week or so. But our website, we try to update our website at least once a month to talk about what's coming up at our future meetings, but sometimes we don't know. We do another feature I should mention in passing. Every month when people get recognition from a judge in an exhibition, we do a thing that I dubbed from exposure to exhibition. And it's we try to get the member who got the ribbon or who got the award to put up the original image and the final image and tell the story about how they got from A to B. Where were you? When was this? What was the weather like? Why did you take this picture? Why did you choose this one? Because it's kind of the converse, if you will, of submitting your photo for critique because it's already been critiqued. I, they already got an award for it. So they don't have to worry about being criticized too much because they say, well, I already got an award, you know? so. It's the reverse, and from that, it's still the same process. People can say, wow, look what you did with that. You cropped it this way. Why did you crop it this way? Why did you do that? How did you change this? What software did you use? Why did you decide on a square format instead of a standard 11 by 14 or whatever? Why did you go portrait instead of landscape? Any number of things, and I think we all learn from that. Why did you blur this out? What tool did you use to get that to come out better? And I think we learn from that too. So that's, we try to do that every month when we have people who get uh, ribbons in the, in the exhibition. That's a great idea. And you'll be up pretty soon with, yeah. your, with your bad mood. And you have a great story about it. Well, they're probably sick of hearing of me, but <laughs> yeah, they're, they, you know, I, I'm always surprised when I get a ribbon because I see so many good pieces of art, not just photography in the gallery. It's, it's really a shame that everybody doesn't get something. Right. And that brings up a question, and, and hopefully this is okay to ask, because we do discuss it in groups, different people. We, now at the gallery, we have so many different mediums that we allow for each competition. And you know they're very, very 3D, 2D. And what is your thoughts as far as do we need to separate those? Would you like to see a best in show for photography and, and maybe a best of show for 2D and then a best of show for 3D? How do, what do you think about that? Do you think it's, it's okay to judge all these different art forms together and try and, and pick a best of show in first place? Do you think that's fair? Do you think it's really hard on a judge? I know if I judge, I, 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 would, I don't know anything about photography and so I don't know that I'm open to everything and to really understand what people go through to make these you know, beautiful photographs. So what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, it's a good question. It's an issue that has been brought up at the Photographic Society since our very first meeting, when at that time it seemed like nobody thought it should be separate. I think that is changing. But what I've said all along, and I continue to say it, is change has to come over time. It has to be evolutionary because there are five or six of us who exhibit most months, maybe. And they're pretty much the people on the steering committee that I, that I mentioned. If we're going to separate photography and I'm going to compete with those four other people, I'm going to lose interest and so are they. Okay. I, we need to grow, and this goes back to our mission and what, I, what I've been talking about. We need to get more people exhibiting. Mm -hmm. We have people who come who are rote beginners. I don't blame them if they don't exhibit. You know, it's, it's, it's not only is it hard to put yourself out there if you've never done it, but it's not cheap either. Sure. You know, it's not cheap. Some of these metal prints can cost two, three, the big ones, four or five hundred dollars. Matting and framing is not cheap. Um, some of the some of the local people I'm told who do it and do a good great job at really good prices have had to increase their prices because material costs have went up so much. So it's not cheap. And it's not the entry fee. The entry fee is fifteen bucks for the first one and five dollars for for the each additional, that's nothing. That's not the barrier. The barrier, I think, is number one, they don't feel their work is good enough or they do it once and they don't get an award and they say, eh, you know, what's the point? Well, that's, that's why my little lecture I'm putting together is about is that's not why you do this. If that's why you do it, you're doing it for the wrong reason. If you're doing it to make money, you're doing it for the wrong reason. And if you're doing it because you want to get ribbons, that's the wrong reason, too, in my opinion. That's not why I do it. And if I don't get another ribbon in my life, you can quote me on this, it will be fine because I don't know where the ones I have are. They're, <laughs> they're probably buried in a closet somewhere. No, I, we need to get more people exhibiting. And if we can get that critical mass, then maybe what we do as kind of a transition is once or twice a year we have a separate photography exhibit uh, with a separate judge. And then the issue comes up right away as well. If we're gonna be separate, then we need to get prize money too. I don't disagree with that. No, if, if the deal was that photography doesn't get prize money and everybody else does, then we're- right. That's not fair. That's not gonna work. Right. Well, what if nobody gets prize money? Because I don't think prize money is what motivates people anyway. What if they just got ribbons? What if we had a separate judge for photography? What if we had separate criteria, back to your point, um, criteria for judging photography? I wouldn't wanna be a judge either. It's very difficult because, but, and then I get, and we get this, we get this. I mean, let's be honest, we get some of this, we get one, one comment made to one of our members was, I can't believe I have to compete with photography. Well, you know, <laughs> or you don't put any time into that. And you just press a button and, and you have art. And I spend weeks and months painting or drawing or whatever I'm doing. And I know, because my wife does that, she spends a lot of time. But believe me, some of our members spend a lot of time too. I probably have 40 hours into one of my photos. I mean, it, it, I try it, it's, it's uh, 
it's like it's like you said, uh, or I saw it somewhere. You know, you throw out the first pancake. It, yep. <laughs> yes, I spent hours on that one, and I don't like it, so I threw it out and start over because I think there's something in that photo that I can draw out, and I have to have a different technique or a better technique. So, all of those things, and I showed this at uh, the. Uh, the brown bag last fall, is it real or is it Photoshop? On my wall in my rec room is a portrait of, uh, uh, and it's probably four feet high and three feet wide painting of Brian Cranston as uh, Heisenberg or Walter White in the TV show Breaking Bad. And it's a long story that I won't bore you with about how that painting got there, but it was a silent auction fundraiser and the woman who painted it painted it in six minutes and I have a video of her doing it to prove it. Time is not necessarily <laughs> the indicator either, right? Wow, that's a, now is it recognizable too? Like, oh yeah, that? it's amazing. I'll show you a picture of it. Oh, I'd love to. See it's, it's amazing. I don't know. I mean, and that's what her and a, and a couple other ladies do for fundraisers and they didn't tell us in advance what it was going to be. But she goes up there, and I have my cell phone video running, and yeah, a little, I think it was six minutes and 30 seconds or something. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah, you can stop by and see it. I have a time lapse on the wall of here's a blank canvas, here's a minute in, two minutes, four minutes, you know. What a great thing to have. Yeah, um, well, and maybe you can send us a picture that we can put with the podcast, oh, sure. if that's okay. So I think yeah. that would be a great thing to yeah, see. I'd be glad to. So, you know, my point is, it's not time. And it's not effort, and it, I, it's, it's difficult. It's really difficult. But until we, I think until we get to critical mass, we can't separate photography. But I'm not against separating. I think we should. It'd be nice if we could separate photography. But everything has to happen in what I used to call in business a stair-step approach, a little bit at a time. So now, you know, maybe next year we'll have seven or eight of us exhibiting regularly and if we get up to 10 or 15 then maybe we have enough if we have the right theme to separate once or twice a year and maybe do it i don't know they, they'll find out a way of where to put it up whether they use those dividers or use the mesa gallery you could find a separate judge we could figure it out but we'd have to do it in advance because the themes sometimes don't really work all that well with photography too. Right. Although I have to say, nobody thought my favorite song title would work. And we had a lot of photography entries. And we had several who got ribbons too. Not, not necessarily members of our group, but uh, there were some, there are some great photographers like Steve who aren't part of our group, but we have a good time. You know, good time. So that's that's my that's my answer for that. I don't think it needs to be controversial. It we'll, we'll work it out. Right. We're all we're all here for the same reason, I think. And there's always going to be people on a bell curve, right. people who are really unhappy that uh, they have to compete with photography, who grouse about it all the time. And then there's people at the other end who say, "Well, why do I have to compete with painters?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody said, somebody, I have to share this. Somebody said to me, they said, what you did on that photo is not real. You know, like when I replaced that sky on the baseball field. And somebody else said, well, you're a painter. Nothing you do is real. <laughs> right. I mean, really, come on. Right, because right, you're just, re painting is representing. And 
And so, yeah, it's not, it's a representation of something, but, right. And you may know the history, but part of the history of photographer, photography was, and I'm not an art history student by any stretch of the imagination, but when I did the research on the history of photography, I found this, that, that artists were really unhappy with photography in some circles because it was taking away their livelihood. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, people could take their own portraits their own daguerreotypes or or whatever they use, tintypes or whatever. And uh, I shared a picture my grandmother took of herself with their first Ford in 1921. And I said, this is 100 years old. This is amazing. It's 100 years old. How does this happen? (laughs) I mean, she was into photography, not, you know, landscapes, not art, but snapshots. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you brought that up. So a previous guest that we had, Tyler Boylands, he mentioned we were talking about, you know, different types of art. Well, you know, impressionist versus versus realistic, uh, cubism. We were kind of going through differences. And and he brought up that pretty much art was was representative. So, you know, they tried to make a human look just like a human forever. And then all of a sudden, photography came about and that's when uh, art started changing the impressionists came in and things were different because they had photographs now and so now our our paintings didn't have to say okay this is what George Washington looked like or um, and so that it's kind of a a neat circle that you know that we were able to talk about that because I I think that's a really interesting something you would never think about with photography that hey it's an art but it also changed a different art yeah, yeah, and I read that. Like I said, I'm not an art history student. I don't even think I ever took a class on art history, but but I did read exactly that. So yeah, he he, he must have some education. He, he could talk about it intelligently. But yeah, I knew it changed because and and if you think about it, of course it changed, right? right. Because now we had something that could replace the realism. Exactly. Yeah, and and of course that's what it was doing, and so now we already have something that does that. So so maybe you know it can be explored in other ways. So we should so be so our painters should thank photographers for giving them that leeway because uh, <laughs> you're right. I, mean, I, we, I agree, right? Because it allowed other people to say, oh, okay, now I'm going to do it this way because it doesn't have to look doesn't exactly have to like, look real, right? Yeah. And so now it's it, it's I can use more color or make it abstract and and that's okay that's an you know another well way to and do it. you know we've been to a lot of museums in europe especially i mean those some of those old masters they were so realistic it was scary yes. and i'd never seen it when you see them in person it's different than seeing them in a book but wow that guy's eyes move with me how did they do that and uh, and yeah they moved away from that to the abstract stuff, I guess, and expression and whatever you called it. But. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, there's lots of different names and styles. Well, so let's take it just a, a teeny bit different direction. One thing that we like to ask our guests is what their art truth is, and that can be anything. So do you have an art truth, and um, would you like to share? My art truth is is simple, but and I've already shared it. It's It's your art. Make it what you want to be. Find, find your joy. Find your joy in your art. Why do we do this? Why do we sit there for hours and 
and when it becomes a job, when you have to produce art because you're trying to make money off it, that's different. I have a friend in New Mexico who did that. I mean, she made jewelry, and she'd go to these huge shows like the ones at the International Balloon Festival in Albuquerque that were juried, that were set up in tents that took up you know, acres and acres, and there were hundreds of exhibitors, and that was how she made money. So it was like, I have to work eight hours a day producing enough product so I have to sell it? Yeah, that's yeah. not why we do it. Right. And if that's why you do it, that's fine, have at it. If you can make a living from it, that's great. If you can make some extra money, that's great. But my art truth is, it's your art, and you don't want it to become a burden uh, if you, if I, I have it happen to me a little bit sometimes when an exhibit is coming up and there's a deadline and I have something and I've been working on for months and now I got to finish it because I got to get it off to the printer or I've got to print it myself. Sometimes I, I do metal prints and I got to send them off or canvas and sometimes I print them myself and I don't want to get trapped into that at the last minute but it seems like every Saturday at the end of the month <laughs> I'm on the table <laughs> printing off you know the vendor tags and taping them on and so you know cleaning the glass and it drives me nuts and that's when it becomes a burden. <laughs> well and I think when we have to do something, whether it's to sell or, or anything, when something's a burden, we're not going to do our greatest job. I, I don't think yeah. if I have to go paint something, yeah, I'm, I am maybe going to dread it. Or And I think, you know, I, I struggle with wanting to do commissions. That sometimes becomes this, this stressful thing. It's a burden, and you have to have it done by this time. And, yeah. and yeah. I really lose interest, in the, and then it feels like a job. And I don't know that art should be a job. Yeah. So, so I agree. Yeah. It shouldn't be a job. I mean, I, I don't think it should be a job. I it might be for some people in the gallery, and I'm, I, I'm not denigrating them at all. Everybody has their own thing and their own financial need or, or oh, whatever. Sure. I'm, sure. I'm mostly retired. I'm not going to make enough money from art to make a difference in my life. <laughs> and that isn't why I do it. Right. And that isn't why I do it, and that's not why I take the time to facilitate this photo group. I do it because I've grown to love the people and the things we do, and I, I look forward to it. Sometimes some members say, we should meet more than once a month. I'm like, hey, if you want to meet more than once a month, I think that's a great idea. You facilitate the meeting. It takes me a lot of time to put together a program to fill the time we have to try and make everybody happy because some people are beginners and intermediate, and some people are interested in what Steve asked about. Some are interested in editing, and some are interested in cameras, and some, you know, we, we all have, they're all at different levels and we try to keep up with that and understand where people are coming from but then you know somebody will say well that was a waste of my time I don't use Lightroom well I'm really sorry you know <laughs> we can't make everybody happy right. we but, try to do the best but, but they're missing the point now they know about Lightroom they got <laughs> to see Lightroom I don't use Lightroom either, but I still thought it was an interesting yeah. uh, video that we watched. Another thing I should mention is we we try to be friends with uh, a camera club out of St. George called Color Country. Uh, Shirley Smith up there is a great advocate. She's on our mailing list. They're not going to drive down here at night to come to our meetings any more than we're probably going to go up there at night 
through the gorge to, to go to theirs. But they do a lot of their meetings on Zoom, and we invite our, they're kind enough to send us a link, and many of us have sat in on several of their uh, Zoom workshops that they have outside speakers do. They're much bigger than we are, and St. George doesn't. Well, because it's much bigger and it and it's a little bit cooler up there, I don't think they die out as much as we do here in the summer. I mean, it's so hot out now, we don't want to go outside, or I don't anyway. That's that's something we try to share with them. We, we invite them to do things here. I think they're going to be in our invitational this fall. We, we, we want to be friends with them because they're, they're great people. I know several of them, uh, surely I know for sure, exhibited in our May exhibit. So we, we, we you know, we're, we're all wanna, we, we aren't competing. Some of our members are members of that Color Country Club as well, and they bring back little tidbits for us. So, again, it's all about learning and growing and sharing. I agree. So, Randy, as, as we wrap up, a question we ask all of our guests, and that would be, what's inspired Randy this week? Wow. What inspired, this is really pathetic, but I have to admit it. I'm a baseball fan. I mentioned that. And my team, since I grew up in Minnesota, is the Minnesota Twins. And what inspired me this week is at least for one game, they beat the hated New York Yankees. I don't think that's pathetic. <laughs> well, that's that's pretty inspiring, especially the Boston people. Because <laughs> okay. there's the real hatred, right? Uh, it's the, I mean, the Twins are like, uh, they've won like 22% of their games against the Yankees over the last 20 years, or some really pathetic statistic. And when they beat them, I think it was 8-1, to one, on uh, Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday night, it was it was kind of inspiring because everybody, on all the podcasts I listen to and the sports pages I read, said the Twins are going to get swept, and they were actually in all three games. They could easily have won. They were one run down in the first game. They won the second game, and last night they got beat in the ninth inning. So, um, my daughter bought me a great book. Um, the uh, worst moments in Minnesota sports history, which is pretty much everything. So, <laughs> well, I must tell you, at least you have the Minnesota Twins. I was born in Washington D.C., and you guys stole our Washington Senators. They Har- did, they yeah. Did. Har- Harmon Harmon Kilbrew left town. I was devastated. I was really? Like, it was like 10 years old. Oh, Harmon Killerby's leaving to go to where? Uh, Minneapolis. That was, that was, he was my boyhood hero. So, yeah, that's, uh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I, your, I, your loss was his game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but I recovered. Of course, we moved away. But then the Washington Nationals came, and, and they gave him a good name, the Nats. And, um, and Washington has a team. Of course, I'm nowhere near there to see him, but. It's well, nice. and they also had the second Washington Senators. Um, yes, right? and that's the Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers. Yeah, so. Bob, Bob Short wasn't a good name around town as, <laughs> as he moved them from uh, yeah, D.C. He was from Minneapolis, too, if I remember right. Yeah, of course, growing up, it was um, um, 
Washington, first in war, first in peace, and last in the American <laughs> League because they never won their always last place. I read an article yesterday about Jim Codd and Tony Oliva making the, the Hall of Fame this year, and it was recounting all of the players that were on those Washington teams that moved to Minnesota, yeah. and it's quite a list. That I was lucky when I was a kid because they, they were competitive all through the 60s with Harmon Killebrew and Camino Pasquale and Jim Cott and Mudcat Grant and Soiliver Sallies, and I could go down the list. It, it, was, it was fun to, to grow up with them. And once you're, you know, once you're a fan for that many years, my brother two years younger than me, and he's the same way. We just we're, we text about the twins as much as we text about how mom's doing, you know. And it's, <laughs> Mom doing okay? How are the twins doing? Did you see that play? That kind of. Yeah, that's great. And and, and baseball ties a lot of us together. I know with my oldest son, him and I are. You know, we can always. There's sometimes we can't talk about things, but we can always talk about baseball. Well, you could have changed your loyalties and just become a Twins fan. My, my Chris, my wife has a friend in New York whose friend, John, is a was a. Uh, a New York Giants fan in the 50s, and he is still a San Francisco Giants fan today. He lives and dies with him. The Mets, Yankees, no way. No way would he ever become a Yankee fan, of course, if he was a Giants fan. But the Mets just don't cut it for him. So. <laughs> Each to his own, right? Well, Randy, I really appreciate you coming in. Glad to do it. It was fun. We're off and running, Randy. Thank you very much. Hope, right. Hopefully you'll come back again next year for Anytime. us. Anytime. Each week, we like to talk about what's inspired us the past week. So, Steve, what's inspired you? Well, you know what? It's kind of, uh, you might say it's a mundane thing, but the hanging committee inspires me. Now, our listeners are saying, the hanging committee? Oh, my <laughs> that goodness. Critical. Okay, and that's what I would have thought until I became involved in the art gallery. And the hanging committee is, is Dottie, Elena, and there's a whole bunch of others. But they come in as the exhibitions change at the end of the month, the beginning of the next month, and they intake all of the new, well, first off, they take down all of the old art, and they put it away nicely so it doesn't get ruined, and then they intake all the new art, they do all the paperwork, and then they hang it on the wall. And I think they do an amazing job. Nobody ever sees it. Their work is inspiring. It is. Yeah. Way to go, hang Yes, and thank you, because they, I don't think most people coming into a gallery realize what it takes to make everything look fluid and flow together, and I, and I think they spend a lot of time doing that, so it, it is a really uh, labor-intensive job. Rochelle, what is inspiring you today? Well, I just received a new order uh, of paint in the mail from Dick Blick. Ooh. <laughs> that's always that's Ooh, Christmas Day. I'm really excited to. There's a few colors, if you can believe it, that I've never tried before, that I've ordered, and some other paints that I've been out of for a while that I bought in bigger quantities. Just looking at them just excites me with all the different possibilities. So that's new presents in the mail are my uh, is my inspiration. How about how does that come? The UPS or uh, FedEx actually? Uh, FedEx. Yep. Is there any difficulties with the heat? 
I don't, I don't think so yet. I'll have to see it once I open each bottle. But when, you know, when I got them, when I opened the box, they were definitely warm. And acrylic doesn't like temperature extremes, either too cold or too hot. So it'll be interesting. They are fluid, which means that they're uh, more of a running consistency than, than say, a tuba paint. So hopefully they'll be okay. Okay. See, and the reason I ask that is we, we get wine club shipments, and you definitely don't get them in the summertime. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, because uh, I think the cork would pop off. Okay. Right. So the next time I see your paints that arrive today, they'll be on canvas. They will. Okay. And, and there's just all different kinds of possibilities waiting in those bottles. Hey, that's it from uh, Rochelle and Steve here at the Art Box. And we will talk to you in two weeks. Thank you. Thank you. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, visit us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com.